This message, it'll drown out after a while, I hope. This message might be a little bit challenging for some of you to hear. We're continuing our series on Revelation. This is week, it's, supposed to, it's week actually week 23. Uh, it's the third in our series on the trumpet judgment. This one's called A World Controlled <clears throat> by Evil. Um, do you remember the first pictures you ever saw of Auschwitz? The images of the Nazi genocide of seven million Jews? Do you remember when you learned about Joseph Stalin killing 20 to 30 million people during his reign in Russia? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a reminder that church is here, that's what it was. <clears throat> There's also Mao Zedong the leader of China who killed an estimated 65 million Chinese people in his attempt to create a new Chinese government. Pol Pot killed two million people in his attempt to assert his control over Cambodia. These are just 20th century examples of human bloodshed. <clears throat> this doesn't even count World War I or World War II and dozens of other wars fought by both bad countries and good, good ones. Since the first century, the world has seen every century since an exponential rise in humanity's ability to kill, unlike any other period before it. If you could see it as a chart from the first century to now, you would see it as a stark, steep line going up and up and up. Yet sadly, what has happened, because there is so much of this, we have normalized most of, it, most of it. Today's passage about the sixth trumpet explains this phenomenon of evil's growing bloody impact in these last days. Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 21. <clears throat> then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. <clears throat> so the month and year were released to kill one-third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. By the way, that's a mi two million, or 200 million. Some of you are trying to do the math in your head. I'll just spare you, 200 million. <laughs> This is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They, were, they wore breastplates the color of fire, sapphire, and sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads. Fire, smoke, and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, one-third of mankind was killed <clears throat> by the fire, smoke, and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. This is going to happen when you're preaching through Revelation chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're going to come across... Difficult passages. 
Let's look at the history of this passage. <clears throat> I've entitled the historical section today, Beyond the Euphrates. First of all, I want you to look beyond Israel. There were four great rivers that marked the boundaries of the Garden of Eden that we learned about in Genesis. And one of them was the fourth one, which was this river, Euphrates, where these four angels that are bound are released from. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 14, it says, And the fourth river is Euphrates. I put that up there in case you thought I was making it up. This was one of the boundaries of the Garden of Eden. So what was known is beyond the Garden of Eden was not something that was paradise. Something else beyond that. The river Euphrates was also the border of the promised land that Israel was given after 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua 1.4 says this, from the wilderness in Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So from the sea coast in the west all the way to the Euphrates in the east. So once again, this Euphrates River is very significant all throughout the Old Testament. For Jews in the Old Testament, the land beyond the Euphrates was a great dark mystery. Because the Euphrates River represented many things in the ancient world from the time of Israel through the Roman Empire. Anything from the eastern side of the Euphrates was seen as a threat by the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, that's where Israel's two greatest rivals in the Old Testament came from. Babylon and Assyria both came from the other side of the Euphrates. These were nations that invaded Israel and enslave the Jews. But also beyond Rome, I want you to see the impact of the river Euphrates. I'm going to put a map up here for you. This is kind of a cool map for you to see. <clears throat> so I want you to know something. See the Parthian Empire right over there to the east of the Euphrates? Then above that, you see Armenia. Armenia was actually controlled by the Parthians. They had put in like puppet leaders. So they ran the whole border. And you see the Euphrates River running from the south or the bottom of the picture all the way through. It was the border between Rome and the Parthian Empire. And you can see Rome goes all the way past the Mediterranean Sea to London, to England, to, the, to Great Britain. And the Parthian Empire went from there, north, all the way to India. So Rome's east border was this Euphrates River. <clears throat> Rome's greatest threat were these Parthians. And they were a very formidable enemy, even to Rome's standards. They controlled all of that territory, and the readers in the first century who were reading Revelation would have clearly seen the references to horses with stings in their tails. And let me tell you why. It's a reference to the Parthian army. They were renowned horse experts. And they were famous for shooting arrows backwards just as accurately and as deadly as anyone else could do it frontwards. It was known that if you were behind a Parthian horseman, you were in big trouble. So you can see how both Jews and Gentiles in the first century would have seen this symbolism, this reference to the Euphrates River, kind of like how we used to see the old Iron Curtain, or maybe how many Americans see modern-day China. It's this, it's this threat from beyond our border, beyond somewhere else, things you don't know about, things you're not sure what they could do to you if they were unleashed. That is what the symbolism of the angels bound east of the Euphrates represents. And he uses this symbol of this threat beyond the Euphrates to describe the coming scope and influence of evil on the entire world. 
So that's important history, right, to understand Revelation. You have to understand that. So let's look at the spiritual or the theological section of this. What about God and what does he do and why does he do it? I want you to see evil has this incredible power over the world. First of all, there's this mention of these evil angels that are released. Do you remember when we talked about the golden altar where the incense offering was, which is the prayers of the saints? Well, this golden altar is mentioned again. It says a voice from the four horns or the four corners of this golden altar orders the release of the four angels that were bound beyond the Euphrates River. It is that same incense altar from the sixth seal representing the prayers of the saints. And what are they praying for? They're asking for God to come and judge evil. This altar, in many respects throughout Revelation, seems like a portal from heaven into the physical world. Sort of like how the golden altar was really a gateway from the outer courts into the Holy of Holies. Maybe the altar is mentioned to remind us of those prayers. Indicating the sixth trumpet that we're about to study is part of God's answer to those prayers. And these are angels that were before the sixth trumpet were previously bound and now they're released. This indicates, in my opinion, that they are among the forces of evil controlled by Satan that we saw in the fifth trumpet. You remember last week with those nasty looking locusts. The power, the scripture says, is in their mouths and in their tails that have serpents' heads. This symbolizes this. They're very good at deceiving. They're very good at manipulating humanity. It's evocative of the serpent in the garden who deceived Adam and Eve. Even today, when somebody is deceptive, what do we call them? Oh, you're a snake. See, later in Revelation, we are actually told the identity of that serpent in the garden, it is Satan himself. The scripture says that they are breathing fire, destruction that comes from the warfare that is the result of their deception of the nations. And this sixth trumpet begins to pile up images that create a nightmare scenario of judgment for the world of evil, plagues, and bloody warfare. This is more evil released for a while in its final throes to try to derail the plan that is inside the scroll of redemption that the Lamb of God opened, if you remember the seven seals. And this is fascinating. There's this hour, day, month, and year. These angels were bound until a very specific moment in history, and they are released for partial One-third judgment. Again, just like the fifth trumpet, it is not complete total judgment of evil. That comes later when Jesus returns. But at this moment in history, God changes how he carries out his judgment. And he turns the power of the nations over to evil. See, in the Old Testament, God used nations, whether for judgment or liberation, to carry out his plans for Israel because they did have a role in our redemption, being the line of Christ and all of those things. But after the cross, listen carefully, after the cross, the sixth trumpet signals a change. That 
evil is given power to influence nations and armies for its purposes for a time. Matter of fact, Jesus told his disciples this would be a sign that we are in the end of times. Let's go back to our old friend Matthew 24. Remember I told you, if you're going to study and learn Revelation, it's got Matthew 13 and Matthew 24 all through it. Look at Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8, and then verse 14. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And look what Jesus follows up with. He describes this age of what is going on in this age. It is the church age. Look what he says. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. He says, while all these nations are rising into nations, there's wars and rumors of wars. There's earthquake. There's famine. There's desolation. There's death. There's chaos. The gospel will be preached through all the nations and then the end will come. I believe that this hour, day, month, and year mentioned in Revelation 9 that the sixth trumpet is blown and these angels are released, I believe it started at Christ's ascension from earth back to heaven, and it will continue until his return. We are in it. As a matter of fact, verse 14 tells us it is the age of the church. Fulfilling the great commission... By proclaiming the gospel to all the nations. You see the similarity in the language between that and the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Simultaneously, as the church is preaching the gospel, these desperate forces of evil are opposing humanity with everything they have, doing everything that the sovereign God allows them to do. And then we see this massive army of 200 million. And just so you understand what it is, it's 10,000 squared times two, which equals 200 million. And John describes this army's size of this 10,000 times 10,000 times two. First century readers really didn't understand what millions would be. They didn't have a word for it. As a matter of fact, the largest number in the Greek language, which is what Revelation is written in, that number was called myriad, which means 10,000. That was the largest number they had in their language. This is myriad squared, 10,000 times 10,000 times two. The first century readers would immediately see this not as a specific exact number, but a symbolic picture of a force so great that it cannot even be counted. It's not a literal number. It's a descriptive number of the vast scope of evil. And the demon hordes of Trumpet 5 that we studied last week are not given permission to kill. You remember that. But evil deceives and uses the nations to kill on their behalf. And they do. And they will. So now evil is using this spirit of human conquest that where do we learn about those in seals one through four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that spirit of human conquest. Now evil is using that. 
the spirit of conquest that has always been active that we saw not just in the seals, but also described again from that different camera angle in trumpets one through four. Now they're using it for their own purposes. And those four angels that were bound are released. And this massive army is just another camera angle for us combining two elements of judgment. So that's what I believe this sixth trumpet describes a time in history where the spirit of human conquest becomes a direct tool of evil. It is, if you will, allow me, the intersection of evil's power and influence from the spiritual realm over the earthly realm. And this number, this 200 million, symbolizes the absolute horror of evil's pervasive influence and power over all the nations of the world. And those among the redeemed, among the unredeemed, who survived this, they still refuse to repent, the scripture says. They cannot see the extent of the horror. They continue instead to hope in and worship the very forces that are causing the horror. And the result is more terror, more death, and more destruction. They blindly, foolishly embrace wisdom that is under evil's control. All of its immorality, its idolatry, its greed, and its bloodshed. Okay, so the personal section. What are we supposed to do with this? (laughs) I have all the answers. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I just titled this, Don't Be Surprised or Discouraged. Well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Joe, after what you just described is going on in the world we live in today. This was my sermon preview this week. Without Jesus, even the best human wisdom is fully bewitched and controlled by darkness and evil. See, this sixth trumpet is a horrifying revelation of how totally broken and corrupt this world system is. The sixth trumpet ties the spirit of human conquest together with the forces of evil into one tool for God's judgment. And evil's impact in the world is deeper than you know. Let me just make it very clear to you. It cannot be voted out. It cannot be legislated away. And it cannot be eradicated by some brave revolution. The world says it wants peace and safety. Remember, that's one of the things Jesus said would happen. They're going to say peace and safety. But history and the numbers clearly show that humanity, under the influence of evil, is incapable of this. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and plot? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Boy, that's a pretty discouraging statement for the nations, isn't it? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Evil is active today, using demonic and earthly forces to stage their attacks from outside the spiritual kingdom of heaven. As that river Euphrates represented the border of the Roman Empire, it represents for us the border of the kingdom of heaven in the spiritual realm. And those evil forces are just beyond, just to the east of the kingdom of heaven. And they're launching their attacks from there. And since the cross, they are deceiving. 
They are killing, they are corrupting, they are destroying in degrees far beyond any other period in human history. The facts bear that out. And you know, it's kind of ironic as each nation actually believes that they are the key to prosperity. They are the key to peace. They are the key to safety in these last days, but frankly, none of them are. So back to my introduction. So killing has grown each century. The 20th century was unprecedented in human history. You think, well, the 21st century is better, right? Well, it's only been 22 years. In the 20th century, World War I, World War II, Stalin, Pol Pot, Chairman Mao of China, nothing in the ancient world came close to that magnitude. Nothing. In 22 years of this century, I just listed a few of them in my notes here. Chechnya, Darfur, the Congo, ISIS, Afghanistan, Iraq, Sri Lanka, the Uyghurs in China, Myanmar, Sudan, Yemen, Ukraine. This isn't just governments and bloodshed, by the way. Evil has also infected society in every way. Education, sexuality, economics, politics, leisure. The power in their mouths and tails to deceive. And Jesus says, this is how powerful it was, that if he would allow it, Jesus, they would even be able to deceive, if possible, the the elect. It reveals how powerful this deception is. You know what's more stunning? How this deception has normalized evil in society. And even believers have gotten complacent with just how bad it is. We get sucked into it because it's everywhere. But each new generation believes they have new wisdom and vision to bring peace and safety. That is also part of the deception. It's a horrifying revelation of how pervasive evil is in these last days and how frightening life without Jesus truly is. Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. That describes every politician since Cain and Abel. (laughs) All of them. Even the ones you like. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. You know, this may sound odd, but this really isn't depressing for children of God. Oh, yeah, Pastor Joe, I want to say how you pulled this one out of your hat. (laughs) See, the reality of this, when you start to recognize the extent of evil, it can be actually comforting if you think about it in this way. It's how we know we are what Jesus called the last days in Matthew 24. This is what John is describing with the sixth trumpet in our passage today. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, don't be surprised or troubled by all this reality of evil. It must take place before the end comes. And it will get worse. Lawlessness and bloodshed and immorality will increase as evil's influence and deception spreads. But at the same time that all of that is going on, God is using this 
for what? To call his chosen out of darkness into light. Because he gives us eyes that are able to discern evil. And he gives us ears that can hear the gospel message of repentance and faith and grace and mercy through the work of Christ on the cross. In the meantime, God allows human free will under the influence of evil to have its way, demonstrating what? It's massive, colossal failure under its own weight. God allows it so that his sealed people that we've read about already in this study, his sealed people can see firsthand the futility of human wisdom and repent. But the rest will not. And believers, we should be discerning We shouldn't be falling for their deception through politics, both sides. Power, gold, and silver. Don't hope in earthly powers. Don't be deceived by the nations or the kings or human wisdom. You know what you need to do? Preach the gospel. Verse 14 of Matthew 24. Look what 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 says. I love this passage. In the midst of all of this, right, nation rising against nation, the four angels released from the east of the river Euphrates, look what Peter describes. And we remember we did this in our verse-by-verse study of First and Second Peter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's the Great Commission again. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Newsflash. God doesn't have a most favored earthly nation anymore. I know as Americans it might be hard for us to hear that because we love our country. He doesn't have a favorite nation anymore. His favorite nation is his own nation of royal priests. The camera angle of this sixth trumpet reminds us that our hope is in the kingdom of heaven, not earthly kingdoms. God is allowing all of this to work together for his purpose. He is using it to separate the wheat from the weeds. Christian, I implore you today, let go of your feckless earthly hopes for peace and safety and prosperity based upon human wisdom. Be relieved of that burden. Let go of the burden of trying to defeat evil in this world. Jesus will do that when he returns. Don't worry. Don't confuse the kingdom of heaven and the gospel with advocating for a politician or a foreign policy or an economic system. You know, I'm just going to say that again in case some of you missed it. Don't confuse the kingdom of heaven and the gospel for advocating for a politician or a foreign policy or an economic system. In these last days, we are called to a greater hope than that. We are called to a different wisdom. We are called to a different role. And it's not very nationalistic, I'm sorry to tell you. Our job as the redeemed throughout the world isn't fighting for all of our countries to become righteous Christian nations. That's not our job. Our job is living in step with values of the kingdom of heaven while the world helplessly lives under the deception of evil. 
Our job is to preach and proclaim the gospel throughout this age to people in all the nations until Jesus returns. Christian, if you have ears to hear this morning, your allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven because that is the only nation on earth that evil cannot control. Dear Jesus, today we reaffirm our allegiance to your kingdom, to your nation of royal priests who have called us, you have called us out of darkness into light to proclaim your mercies to the rest of the nations. Jesus, we confess to you that many times we can be very distracted by the deceptions of evil. But as children of God, you've given us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And Lord, yes, we, as Americans, we love our country, but Lord, in the end, our country is not where our allegiance lies. It is with you. Jesus, we are overwhelmed by the stark reality, the horror of evil's influence throughout the age. May that be a reminder to us to not look to the world for peace and safety and hope and prosperity. We look to you. You are who we pledge our allegiance to. You are the one with power to redeem. You are the one with power to defeat evil. And until you return, we will tell others about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, have a great week. We love you. Thank you.